Welcome to the Man in the Mirror Bible Study Podcast. Today we are continuing our series looking at the book of James. Our guest speaker today is Tim Amayo, pastor of Grace Fellowship Church. And so we turn it over now as Tim brings us the message, Brothers Who Live by the Word. Good morning, guys. It's great to see you. Welcome to the Man in the Mirror Bible Study. We meet here every week on Friday morning. Get here at 745, grab a coffee and a donut and, uh, at 645. Sorry, just freaked everybody out. 645 and uh, 7 o'clock. We're off and running. Get out of here by 8. It's great to see you guys. I'm very excited today. We have uh, a semi-guest speaker. What do you call somebody that's like more than a guest but doesn't teach every week? That's, that's what he is. So, uh, and also... Uh, I'm, I'm, except, I'm extra excited because uh, Tim Amayo is here. He's my pastor up in Sanford at Grace Fellowship Church and also, uh, also my friend. So uh, uh, um, Tim's going to be talking from James chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. Grab your outline and we'll get going. Good morning, Tim. Uh, good morning, everybody. You guys have energy at 7 a.m. Like our church has a lot of young guys. I can't get them on time at 7 p.m. So... Uh, kudos to you guys. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Like Brett said, we're, uh, I'm glad to get to be able to jump into your study with you and, uh, hopefully we'll connect some dots of what you looked at in the past couple weeks and set up what you'll be looking at in the next few weeks. Uh, so as you know, uh, James is a pretty practical book, um, and it addresses a lot of common concerns that Christian face, Christians face. Uh, but I think often, as, as many people tend to do, they read New Testament books like they're just some generic moral instruction book, especially James. Um, but James, like all the other New Testament books, are written to believers. They're written to the church, written to the church specifically, um, those who are born again. And so these are instructions coming out of new life in Christ. And so what I hope you'll see here is the themes you've been looking at the past couple of weeks, if you've been in the study, and the themes that you'll look at going forward are tied together. Because sometimes you can read James and you're like, where is James going? Because James okay, it seems to like he's hopping around and, and uh, maybe he's not making up his mind about what he wants to talk about. Uh, and that's just kind of his, his writing style. But it's going to set up the rest of the book. So there's four themes that you guys have addressed already that are going to help us in our passes this morning. Um, one is the idea of a brother. He's brothers. He's speaking to beloved brothers. James uses the term brother more than any New Testament writer. Four times just in the first chapter, 18 times in the entire book. Uh, so he's trying to say something there. Uh, number two, you've looked at the benefits of uh, trials and how trials grow the believer. Don't forget that when we get into our text this morning. Uh, then there's this contrast between what sin gives birth to and what God gives birth to. And then last but not least, this section and then going into chapter 2 speaks a lot about the Word. And so the Word is going to have uh, quite a bit to say or, or quite a bit to play in, in our text this morning. And um, oh, I got not used to clicking slides. Okay, so I guess I can do this. Here's the flow of our passage this morning. Verse 19 begins with know this. Here's how new creatures are to behave wisely. Remember back in verse 5 of chapter 1, if any of you lack wisdom, Ask God. And so here's how believers, new creatures in Christ, behave wisely. Four, anytime you see a four in the Bible that gives us purpose, why does it matter? Therefore, here's what you, here's what you must do in order to live out your salvation, which is going to set you guys up for next week 
being hearers and doers of the word. So hopefully that makes sense. That's kind of where we're going. Um, and so grab your Bibles and uh, I want to read verses. I'm only doing 19 through 21, but I want to read through 25 just to kind of give you a glimpse of how this is setting up the next passage. So this is James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be hearers of the word and not, er, excuse me, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently on his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In case you're wondering, reading from the ESV. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, you are good and gracious to us. Uh, you wake us up every morning and uh, you give us the sun and birds and trees. There's so many things to be thankful for. But as we sit in this room, what a privilege it is to be called brother. That you are our father. Christ went before us and we are united to one another in his work on the cross. And we never forget our identity in Christ Pray for the men here that they would be brothers to one another, that they would be encouragements in their homes, uh, in the study, in their churches, in their place of employment. Um, and if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, may they look to Christ for their salvation. May they trust in him and live in him eternally. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 19 Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So before we get in, why do you think James is saying this? Um, probably because our mouths get us into trouble and our tempers get us into trouble. Um, I was going to do a little exercise this morning, have everyone stand up with an anger problem, but then we'd all be standing up all morning. Um, but for every follower of Christ, we've got to be honest with ourselves, this is a struggle with inside ourselves that I want to talk a lot of times I shouldn't I want to react but a lot of times I shouldn't but it's not just a struggle internally but externally as well how often I want you guys to think about this like how often have your words and your actions and your tempers hurt others made a bad situation worse how many times has poor judgment poor choice of words, poor actions affected your witness for Christ? How many times do people not want to listen to you because you've got a reputation or, man, that guy was, was a jerk, and now I have an opportunity to talk about Christ, and, and the, the water is completely muddled. And if you're like me, I bring that up, and all of a sudden the list of all the stupid things that I've said and done begins to run in, in my head. And... Um, and those things can affect our, us and others, but probably even more so, and here's James' context, how often have angry words, quick words, caused division and harm in the church? How often have maybe those words been yours? Or that happened to you? Or you can still think of an in instance where someone who you loved 
and cared for or or you wanted to be loved and cared for by someone and just an offhanded quick comment just stung and maybe still stings this is james is dealing with the church has got a lot of problems and right up front he's addressing what may solve a lot of them and that's why he says know this my beloved brothers now before we jump in there are three things we need to know in this just a few words that opens up this section know this number one this is important brothers pay attention I want you to know this. We're going to address a lot of issues. If you can get these three things, it's going to help you out a lot more along the way. Number two, James loves them. My beloved brother is the same phrase he uses in verse 16. There's a genuine care and concern. He's not above them. This is a, this is an equality in Christ. And that's why he says, number three, my brothers. He is part of the family. They are family with one another. So this is important. This is said out of love, and this is said in a family context. And so how can he speak to them in a family context? This is one of the beautiful things about being a Christian. Uh, one of the things that I love about our church, I've never been in a church that, that had done this before, but there's something very sweet about it. When you see an actual brother in Christ, you come up and you say brother and you, and you hug one another. And when you call someone brother, it's really hard to be a jerk. When you call someone, someone brother, there's, there should be this, this reminder that we share something. And what do we share? This is a beautiful fruit of the gospel. Just a few verses before, he calls the Father of lights. And if Christ indeed has gone before us, if Christ indeed took our place on the cross, if he rose again for our sins, he accomplishes our justification and our righteousness, but he brings us into the family of God and we truly are brothers. And as you look around the table, as you attend your church, as you serve alongside other men and other women, you are brothers and sisters. This family that we are brought into by the blood of Christ never ends. And so there's an intimacy there when you think that everything we're doing now is in preparation for eternity. And so that's the grounds on which James is appealing by. And so he says, brothers, look at verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Brothers, we're, we're new creatures. God has brought us forth. There's the same, it's a birthing language. He has birthed us anew. We are part of his harvest. We're living out of that. Brothers, you need to be reminded of your identity. You are one together. So when you walk into a church that's got a lot of issues, you start with brothers. Let's go back to square one. You guys are brothers, and you are my brothers. And so when he gets into this, this next phrase, it all makes sense. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person. Now he's talking about, again, a dysfunctional church. Let every one of you. Let's just start in square one. Shut up a little bit. Every one of you. This is guidance for the church. It'll solve a lot of problems if we were to do these, these simple things. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear in all things. Um, I, I'm going to look at three Proverbs for each of these. We won't belabor them, but um, I think these are, these are helpful. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof or, or correction will dwell among the wise. Amen to that. 
Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. How many of, our, of the problems in the church and with our relationships would be solved if we just took a little bit more time to listen and weren't jumping to what we were going to say or, or, or cutting people off? Um, and I think this, this plays out in two ways. Primarily, to the instruction of the Word. If you listen when the Word is being preached, when you are studying the Scriptures, not just trying to insert yourself into it, um, that's where learning and that's where, where growth happens. So number one, in the instruction of the Word, that'll be important as this Word theme develops. And number two, when you're faced with a difficult situation, when you're faced with a trial, when you're faced with a circumstance, instead of just reacting Maybe listen, maybe take in the facts, maybe discern. And so be quick to hear, um, be slow to speak. So basically, wait and consider what you're saying before you say it should be obvious. Um, but Proverbs 17 is helpful here. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, who I love this one, who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed to be intelligent. Many of you will seem like geniuses by just not saying a word. There's great wisdom in this. That's why a lot of people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because it's a, there, there's a lot of these kind of pithy, wise sayings. But man, if we can be quick to hear, slow to speak, it will solve a lot of the, the issues that we see within the church. And we can help set examples in these. Uh, number three. Slow to anger. This should be obvious. Proverbs 14 is helpful here. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. It is easy to control our tongues. It is easy to control ourselves when everything's going well. Here's where the context of trials come in. My brothers, when you face various trials, be quiet. Be slow to speak and not quick to anger. Because that's the real test. When everything's going well, your anger is not put to the test. But when difficulty comes up, if you can't control your, your anger, you definitely won't be able to control your tongue. And so these things are certainly related. Um, verse 20. And so what, what time do I have, by, by the way? What time am I supposed to finish? You about 10 minutes? Okay. 10 to 15. Okay. All right. We're good. I'm, I'm just, just making sure. All right. Then we get to verse 20. Four gives us purpose. Why? Why is he saying these things? Why, why bring this up? These aren't just empty commands because there's an end in mind. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This strikes deep for men, I think, because we often treat like our anger can fix our, our problems. Well, I was justified in it because I was wronged in this particular situation. Our anger is driven by selfish desires. We've been wrong. We've been disappointed. We've been offended. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever responded in anger with no selfish intent at all? I don't think so. Especially when you react in anger. Why? Because we have never been angry apart from our sin. 
when we look at the anger, anger of, of God, this is hard for us to fathom and compute, but God has never sinned in his anger. There is a perfect, righteous anger within him, and sometimes we think we can do that. Well, I'm justified in this situation because of what they did or what she said or what happened over here. So we can place blame on things on the outside, but that's not really the issue, is it? No one on the outside ever made you angry. When you get angry, you're drawing from your own will. You're drawing from whatever is, is there, and you are allowing what is going on on the outside to make you angry. And so what he's saying here is if you stop and listen, take time before you speak, then that leads to righteousness because this is the goal. The righteousness of God. It was the righteousness of Christ that saves us and that, and it sanctifies us and it gives us our identity as, as brothers. And so we should respond in righteousness. And so we have to ask ourselves, has our anger ever led to more righteousness or less? Has it ever drawn us to look more like God or less than? Because that is our goal, to please the God who saves us. And James will end in chapter 5 to say that the prayers of the righteous have great power. And so this discipline, this exercise of righteousness actually, as Peter tells us as well, may affect our prayer life. If we can temper ourselves, it may improve our prayer life. If we don't, it will affect our prayers, as, as Peter says. So that's the purpose, um, because we righteousness is how we got here, and righteousness is how we continue, and righteousness is what we strive for, um, not to be right or to make our own point. Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Therefore, how can we possibly do this? Number one, put away. Where does this filthiness and wickedness come from? Like I said a moment ago, it, we, we may think it comes from the outside, but it's within us. Our, we are warring against our flesh every day because any filthy, or, I don't need help from the outside to be filthy or, or wicked or to be sinful. So put that stuff away. If you think about anger, fire must have tinder. You, a fire is not going to start unless there's flammable material. I think many men are walking around with tinder in, in their pockets. They got a propane tank on full. They're just waiting for a spark. Put it away. <laughs> Put it away. We need to decide ahead of time that the things that frustrate us and disappoint us are not going to define and enslave us. We need to decide ahead of time. I'm going to, no matter how frustrated I am, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to think. I'm going to listen before I respond. So growth always involves two things, always. A putting away and a putting on. So think about it. If you want your bushes to grow, you need to trim away the dead stuff and fertilize, put in life. If you want to get in shape, you want to need to put away the snacks and put on the sneakers. If you want to get in spiritual shape, you need to put down the remote and pick up the Bible. So, in theology, we, we call these two things mortification, putting something to death, and vivification, putting on life. The, this is the, the sanctifying work of the Christian life. We're constantly putting the old man to death 
and putting on the new man. I want to look at Colossians 3 very quickly because uh, Paul brings this out. And he talks about us being new, new creatures. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the passion, the evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he goes on with a further list. Verse 12, he jumps in, put on, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. This is not moralism. This is not legalism. We're living out of our new nature. We put off the old flesh. We put on the new. Because Jesus died for that sin. Jesus died so that we might live in righteousness. Put it to death. Put it away. And so in that mortification, putting off the old self, we must, we must vivify. We must put on something that is life-giving. So receive with meekness the implanted word. The same word in verse 18 that the Father used to bring us to new life, the birth that we have through the gospel is the same implanted word that we live out of. And he says here, receive with meekness the implanted word. Here's the other thing. There is no growth without humility. There is no reconciliation within the church if there is arrogance and there is pride. He tells us, James tells us in chapter 4, that true wisdom comes with meekness. So the wisdom that he, asks you to, he tells you to ask for in verse 5 of chapter 1 says will come with meekness and humility in chapter 4. And so when he says receive the, with meekness the implanted word, what does it mean that the word is implanted? When he saved you by the power of his word, the, the gospels, the power of God unto salvation, it is he implanted it within you. He planted this seed and he promised that it would grow because God planted it. Because God stirs it up and God waters it. It's implanted within you. So when you hear it, your, your heart knows the voice of your shepherd. This word of God that, that points us to God, that exalts Christ, that drives us to walk in righteousness. The word of God that you're holding in your hands, it has been implanted in you in your new birth. When you hear it, when you were sitting in the church, receive it. Don't shut your ears. Don't be quick to speak. Let it do its work inside you. This is the new covenant promise. Uh, I, I won't get there, but you can turn there later in Hebrews 8. Where in, when Christ does his work, he makes a covenant with you. And he says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. I'm going to forgive your, your sins. You won't have to say, know the Lord, because everyone in Christ will know me. We know the voice of our shepherd. We just often suppress it or our anger clouds it out. And so James is saying, it's already been implanted in you. Receive it with meekness. And that word that has been implanted in you is able to save your soul. It is the word itself that, that does the work. And we sit under it. We already have salvation in Christ, but the New Testament writers talk about the, our salvation being full in the last day. It is the word that continues us until our salvation is complete. That word that changes our heart should also change our behavior. And that's what James is getting at. You've been saved by the word. You're also sanctified by the word. 
And we should be able to tell because you speak differently, you listen differently, and you respond differently. And so I want to put this together briefly. Watch. So sometimes James seems disconnected in his ideas, but watch the, the flow here. You live by the word in verse 18. You now hear the word in 19 and 20, so it produces righteousness. You receive that, that word that is a source of your salvation, and it's going to set you guys up for next week so that you can do the word. It's the word that makes us live. It's the word that makes us, that, that, that we hear. It's the word that we receive, and it's the word that we apply when you do it in the rest of, um, rest of chapter 2, or rest of chapter 1 and you know, through the rest of the, the book. Uh, you've also got a space for this in your notes. So let me just give you guys a summary, and I'll pray for us, and then you'll have some application questions at your tables. Brothers, humbly receive the word to live righteously, because God has saved us in righteousness. Brothers, humbly receive the word to live righteously, because God has saved us in righteousness. Let me pray for us, uh, and you should have some questions at your tables. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word that every man in this room who knows you has heard your word. It has turned our hearts away from sin. It has turned them to you. May we live the rest of our lives putting off the old man, putting on the new man, that our lives would be a pleasing offering to you out of gratitude for what you've done to us. Give these men wisdom and discernment to be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger so that Christ would be glorified in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find the Man in the Mirror Bible Study wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on our YouTube page. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and share the podcast with friends. Since 1986, Man in the Mirror has been teaching the Bible, helping us reflect deeply as men and apply God's truth to our lives. This Bible study is recorded in front of a live audience every Friday morning outside of Orlando, Florida. If you need help navigating your life or leading other men, please go to maninthemirror.org and check out our vast library of Bible study videos, blogs, and articles on Christian growth and leadership. There are plenty of resources you can use to grow in your faith and help others grow too. At maninthemirror.org, you will find books written just for men, helpful materials for your church's ministry to men, and even a potential career in men's discipleship. If you're a man personally struggling in life or you need help in discipling men, please send us an email at biblestudy at maninthemirror.org and let us know how we can help.